Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today I bring you the interview that I have promised you for weeks. Brian Dress, who is an investment advisor and director of research for Left Brain Wealth Management, is here today so that we can have a much deeper conversation on the topic of inflation. More specifically, I'm going to talk with him about how we can prepare our investment portfolios in case we're busy stressing about the potential future of inflation. So, without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring him on. Brian, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Alex. Oh yeah, it's good to have you, I swear. There's so many times where I just think I'm getting lucky at the quality of people I get to talk to. And you know what? It's just a pleasure to have you on. Much appreciated. So the first thing I'd like to ask you, Brian, is if you would go into your background a little bit and a little bit of what you do as the senior researcher over at Left Brain and just maybe a little bit of your education. Sure. So uh, I graduated from Georgetown University uh, in the early 2000s, and I studied international economics. While I was there, I learned about George Soros and some of the other you know, market whale type of people. And that really got me interested in stock market and financial markets generally. So after school ended, I moved up here to Chicago. I spent a lot of time, almost 15 years at the Board of Trade, trading on screen, traded commodities, bond futures, and a a number of other financial products. And then sort of toward the end of the last decade, that business has been becoming much more competitive, much more algorithmic driven, and I'm not really a programmer type person. So I was looking for a way to get into a more long-term oriented investment type of strategy. And so I left my old world behind of sort of the short-term in and out trading and moved over to left brain to almost the exact opposite, which is a long-term investment focus. So essentially you went from day to day, buy, 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 sell, sell, sell to, you know what? I can't do this nearly as fast as a computer can, which who could blame you? and moved on over to left brain and started off on the more fun side. Well, I guess depending on your want for pain, the either more fun side or less fun side of just personal wealth management. That about right? Yeah, absolutely. Both have their benefits. Both are fun in their own ways. But I definitely think what I'm doing now is a much more sustainable career. So I'm happy where I'm at now. And hey, that's all you can ask for, really. You had the exciting part. Now you have the more, let's say, satisfying, more enjoyable part or I would imagine definitely less stressful as well. Yeah, a little bit less stressful. That's definitely right. So now that you're on this side of finance, this being the not so much institutional, but on the side of helping individuals in building their wealth and doing that kind of wealth management, and especially having the additional responsibilities of being a director of research, do you get to just study whatever you want or do you all specialize on something specific at Left Brain? Yeah, so we're generalists at Left Brain. So We have a custom-coded software application called Jarvis in-house, and we follow about 1,000 stocks, 500 bonds, and about 300 sector ETF-type products. So we go where the opportunities are. In practice, I find myself doing a lot more research in the technology space, and so we focus on high-income securities bonds, and we focus on high-growth stocks. And so that definitely takes us into the technology world, the world of cloud computing, 5G, and other technological opportunities. But we definitely are open to opportunities all across the market. So sort of sector agnostic, I would say. I gotcha. Now, let me just ask you one point of clarification here. You said high income stocks. Are we talking income as in like dividends? Are we talking more towards capital appreciation? We definitely track bonds for our clients, because obviously, as you do wealth management, you have to generate income. 
as well as price appreciation in the securities that your clients hold. So when I say high income securities, and we can talk a little bit more about the distinction we make as we go along here, but we definitely have followed high yield bonds for a number of years, and we're starting to widen our approach um, since the opportunities seem to be decreasing in the high yield bond space. But then we definitely spend more time on high growth stocks because we see that's where the opportunities really lie to really build wealth over time. So it's hard to put a percentage on it, but I would say, you know, three quarters of my time is spent looking at stocks and the other 25% probably looking at income opportunities, whether it be in bonds or other categories that we've identified in the last couple of years. I gotcha. Now, let me ask you this. This is a question I had in preparation for this interview. I was looking at Left Brain Financial's website, and I noticed it mentioned a couple times that you guys follow a rather unique investing philosophy. Would you mind expanding upon that? Sure. So we have our tagline. It's called Creating Wealth, Building Wealth, and Preserving Wealth. As we look across the wealth management business, you know we see a lot of advisors and wealth managers are focused very closely on the financial planning aspect of things. And we agree with that. It's important to work on financial planning, and that should be a given with any advisor you're working with. But from our point of view, the way to add value to clients is to spend more time on the investment selection of things. So for a company like ours, it's a little bit unusual, but we carry a staff of five analysts. So we spend a lot of time, money, and effort looking for opportunities for our clients you know, as we look uh, across sort of the wealth management sp- space, we see a lot of indexing going on, a lot of passive investment, and we see a lot of fee compression for advisors. And so we took the research that we used at Left Brain to make decisions for our clients, and we put that out to the public because we want to make it available for you know smaller advisors that don't have the same resources we have to do research to make better decisions for their clients rather than just putting them in index funds and not really providing a lot of value. We are evangelists of the idea that advisors should be finding a way to add value to their clients. And the best way to do that is selecting investments that can help grow their wealth much more quickly than just sort of a market index fund would. So you guys essentially reject the idea of index funds because if people are paying you a fee as an advisor, they might as well be getting a little bit extra, a little bit more value for the fee they're paying. So what you guys do is you specialize in the specifics of not just capital allocation of how much in stocks do you have, how much in bonds, et cetera, et cetera, but drilling down towards, hey, we've got these special analysts. We go out and we have a lot more resources. We do a lot more research. And we think that these stocks are excellent. These might work better for you as opposed to maybe index funds. Is that about right? Yes. So look at that in a couple of ways. The first is you'll find that our allocations are a little bit more aggressive than most. So we carry a little bit more stock percentage than maybe your average advisor would do for any given client. We see a lot of opportunity. And also, as we say, you know, we follow the stocks. So we have a lot more visibility into what's going on in these underlying businesses. And then in addition to sort of the asset allocation, we also look at things again, from a more security selection perspective. And in the whole wealth management equation, there's not that many variables. You could talk about how much money is your client saving or bringing to you. You can talk about how much return you can generate for them with that money. And you can talk about widening your goals or narrowing your goals. So we really want to help our clients achieve their goals, even more lofty goals than they may have imagined for themselves. 
And so we really look at that second part of the equation, which is returns and power of compounding being what it is. If you can just add a couple of additional points of return or a few more percentage points of return per year, that can really change the equation significantly over time and really change your client's trajectory in terms of what their goals are. And so, like I say, we really focus on the investment selection because we really think that's where the value is added from you know, a company like ours. Well, all righty. The whole thing is knowing where your value add is. And it sounds like you guys at Left Brain have that nailed down. You have your analysts, you have a director of research. I don't know how many different advisory firms have a director of research or even a research arm. A lot of times it's a guy in a shack somewhere. <laughs> Not to talk bad about franchise investment advisors. No, and then, uh, you know, we started in 2014 with just a single advisor, my boss, Nolan, who's our CEO and CIO. And so we understand what it is to be a smaller investment shop. And that's why we started Left Brain Investment Research is we want to help smaller advisors who don't necessarily have, you know, the, the research resources that we have. But we want to help as many investors as we can throughout the market because we're really dismayed at sort of the creep of passive investing. And we really think there's so much opportunity in active investing. And so, you know, rather than just provide value to our own clients, which of course we want to do, we want to help people who aren't working with us as well. And so that's why we do the investment research product. And that's why we also do some educational content on our website. So we really want to help everybody gain more from the markets because the opportunity really is there. Absolutely. There's almost always opportunity. The trick is having the resources and the know-how to be able to go out and find it. And it's actually because of that why we have you on the show today. It looks like you guys do fantastic research. You've got the resources behind it. So I wanted to be a little bit selfish and have you come on and talk about inflation. I think that inflation is on quite a few people's minds. And if you do any kind of Google search, you'll find out that all the financial media is trying to cover it. For those of you that have heard last week's episode, you heard me go into the basics of inflation and how that can hurt you. So now that we've got Brian here on the show, who is, again, a director of research, I'm going to say that probably two more times on the show just for good luck. Brian, as a director of research, or rather as an investing professional, why should investors worry about inflation? So before we jump into the topic of inflation, I just want to be clear that at Left Brain, we're a bottom-up shop. So we're watching things from the individual security level first. And so that means really care more about how do business how business is operating in a micro sense than we do about the macro picture. But at the same time, as we watch, you know, over a thousand stocks and a number of other securities, we also definitely see patterns that develop. And so in terms of inflation, the way we view it in sort of the classical way is it's just the increase in the price of goods and services. And probably the way you would say it sort of in the context of now is an increase in price of goods and services faster than what was expected. We haven't really seen a lot of inflation really in the last couple of decades really at all in the classical sense or in the CPI way. But for those of you who are out there who have sent kids to college or you know everybody has healthcare costs, inflation's definitely been present in healthcare and inflation for a very long time. And so, you know, from a personal finance point of view and a wealth management point of view, it's something we're always keeping an eye on and trying to position clients in a way that can protect them from the risks that come along with that. And so in terms of investment and how it relates to inflation, the biggest risks that you'll find is that uh, savers, your the return you get on your savings is not enough to keep up with inflation. And what that would mean is going forward, the value of your dollars that you've saved 
won't be able to keep up with the price of goods and services in the long run. And so to that extent, that's why we keep an eye on inflation. That's sort of how we view it as we position clients. All righty. Very well said. Essentially, you lose money in the long run because you're making an amount that's not keeping up with inflation. So sure, your investments may be growing, but they're not growing fast enough for you to say, stay in place. Sort of like if you're walking on a treadmill, but you're walking slower than the treadmill's going. So eventually you're going to get thrown off the back. Yeah, it's a really good way of saying it. You know, if you hold your funds in cash and cash-like assets, I mean, anybody who does that knows that you're going to get like, what, half a percent on your money. So any level of inflation is going to erode your purchasing power. And so the biggest thing for us in terms of inflation is you really have to be invested in some way, shape, or form. And so that's what we try to do is position clients, not only to maybe take advantage of trends that come along with inflation, but really to protect our clients' nest eggs. And again, build and create wealth on top of that as well. So now that we've covered maybe in the general sense, how inflation can hurt you, especially in regards to holding your assets in cash, how would inflation affect stocks versus bonds? So yeah, inflation has impact on pretty much any asset. So what we, our view is on inflation is that the most obvious point is real estate and commodities do the best during inflation. As the value of a dollar or any other currency unit goes down, the value of real assets is going to increase. So that's kind of the basic concept. From our point of view, and again, we're unabashed about liking growth stocks in pretty much any environment, but growth stocks do tend to perform well in periods of inflation. So that's something that we're going to be looking toward is maintaining an exposure in growth stocks during an inflationary period or to deal with potential risk of inflation. So when you have an inflationary period, you'll see interest rates go higher. And so we have to follow bonds for our income-oriented investors. And the problem with that is that are in the higher quality. So we're talking about investment-grade corporate bonds, or you're talking about uh, treasury bonds or anything along those lines. Those bonds tend to perform very badly in periods of inflation and higher interest rates. And especially if you're holding long-term dated bonds, you know, 10, 20, or 30-year maturities, you're going to see negative performance out of those securities. You know, that's the type of thing we have to worry about is a higher interest rate environment and inflationary environment. You know, you want to move away a little bit from those treasury bonds, even though they seem to be very safe in terms of the coupon is always coming to you. You're always going to get those interest payments. What those interest payments and the bond itself are worth tend to go down in periods of inflation. So that's the general concept of what happens in the stock and bond markets due to inflation. And, you know, we can talk a little bit more about what we're seeing in specific sectors, but we're definitely seeing some inflationary indicators going off in a number of parts of the economy today. So I want to go back on a couple things that you had said. The first is that you'd said that commodities and real estate or real assets tend to go up in value. Something specifically I wanted to mention, commodities, we're talking more like gold and silver, things like that. Yeah, gold, silver, oil, agricultural commodities. There's a really wide range of commodities, but pretty much anything that if you dropped it on your foot and it would hurt, kind of falls into that commodity. You know, (laughs) inputs that go into sort of manufacturing or housing, things along those lines. Gotcha. Now, something I wanted to ask you about that I think would be rather an interesting question to ask is what about crypto? I've seen a whole lot of articles saying that crypto may or may not be replacing gold 
as maybe a store of value during inflationary times. Because even though it's not solid, or as you put it, something that you can drop on your foot and it hurts, it is something that is sort of decoupled from the dollar and that could go either way or could go up as faith in the U.S. dollar goes down. So I'm interested into your perspective on that. I think the jury's out, Alex. Crypto's been around for not very long. It might be a store of value. It might not be. We don't really take too much of a position on that. We just have to say we're agnostic on crypto. (laughs) It's all good. Look, I'll go ahead and take a firm stance. I don't like crypto. For those of you who have never heard of it, there is a theory out there for valuing a financial asset called the castle in the sky theory. Essentially, the value of an asset is given to it by finding somebody after you who's going to purchase it for more than you. So I've seen that called different things, but personally, I think castle in the sky sounds really cool. Essentially, you've got this store value that's really high up, but there's nothing holding it up. Nowadays, it's easy for you to go to what's apparently an ATM machine and trade out your Bitcoin for dollars or even some stores are accepting it. But really, can you trust crypto or is there any value there besides what someone else will give you for it? Is there anything really controlling the value besides people buying or selling it? I, I just don't think it's there. Yeah, Alex, you know, we share some of your concerns, but definitely say it may be an opportunity, but we really like the businesses that we follow. We have a process to assess those businesses and analyze them. And so we just kind of stick to what we know, I have to be honest. Oh, look, it's all good. Look, I'm on your side. I have not a single dollar in crypto. So I don't like it because you never know when the bottom's going to fall out. Nowadays, it's starting to get a little more legitimacy because you've got like Elon Musk and all these other hedge funds that are starting to open positions in it. But uh, I I don't know if you can trust that. So I don't have faith in it. I'm not putting my money in it anytime soon. Maybe that means I'm getting old, but (laughs) I don't know. Just say good, good luck to everyone. That's all I'd say on that. (laughs) I mean, look, jury's out. I might end up losing a ton of money because of this in the future. I know I certainly have as of today. What's the record? Someone spent 10,000 Bitcoins on a pizza in 2010. (laughs) I saw an article yesterday that now that 10,000 Bitcoin is now worth like 600 something million dollars. And the dude is quoted as saying, I don't regret it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think we spent a little too much time talking about crypto. (laughs) But uh, another thing I wanted to ask was uh, growth stocks. So if inflation is affecting stocks, How are growth stocks going to really help with that? Or how is that more of a hedge for inflation? So there's been sort of this narrative over the last few weeks in the markets that higher interest rates and inflation are going to cut into growth stocks and their profits and sort of their their growth trajectories. And, you know, we kind of push back against that. Let's say the money supply grows or the inflation, you see four or 5% inflation. Well, if you're looking at stocks that are growing at 30, 40, or 50% revenue growth. I think you could see pretty quickly how, you know, you might lose three or 4% in real terms off of that 40, but I think you're in pretty good shape over time if you keep, you know, making that trade. So that's why we like growth stocks. You know, the more money supply in, in the economy, the hotter the economy runs, growth stocks tend to benefit from that. And specifically, and kind of the way things are with technology and lots of companies out there making technology investments, we feel really secure in sort of the tech space and the growth space that a lot of the money that flows through companies and in B2B will flow through toward the sort of tech stocks that we follow. So in a nutshell, that's how we see it. Growth stocks are pretty much one of the better inflation hedges you're going to see out there. Okay. Well, 
let me go ahead and just take some complete advantage of you guys' research. Do you maybe have a growth stock that you have maybe as an example on how that could beat inflation or just something that you've researched and might be like, you know what, this may be a good thing to go towards? Yeah, so like I said, I don't really worry too much about how is inflation going to cut into a stock that's growing at 40 or 50% revenue growth. So like I said, it is a hedge toward inflation, but one stock that really stands out for us, this is our stock of the year for 2020, and it's a stock that I think more and more people are becoming aware of, and that's Roku. That's ticker R-O-K-U. They make the players that a lot of people are using for their streaming services and integrated with their uh, smart TVs. We really like the platform. It's easy to use. It's becoming very popular. But what we really like about Roku is not the sort of lower margin hardware business. What we like is this higher margin advertising platform that they've created. There's this duopoly in sort of internet advertising between Facebook and Google. And we know a lot of companies who advertise on the web are becoming more and more frustrated with that duopoly. And so in our research, we're looking for companies that can kind of break into that huge and growing space. And Roku really fits the bill on, on all those accounts. Well, alrighty. Thank you for that. Now, I do want to do you a favor, Brian. This is a favor I do for a lot of people. Let me go ahead and throw in a disclosure. <laughs> now, while Brian Dress is a director of research and a personal investment advisor, he is not your personal investment advisor. Anything he says should be considered as general advice and not necessarily advice recommended for you, the listener, because he doesn't know you. He's talking to me and he doesn't even know my last name. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. Please, please do your own research before you jump into any stock that someone just throws out there for you. Please do your own research. Make sure it's right for you. Yeah, we absolutely agree with that. For those of you out there who are investing in the markets, if you don't have you know, enough time or know-how to do it on your own, really think people should be working with somebody. So that could be us or that could be somebody else. But we definitely think you know, a professional can help assess opportunities like Roku and anything else in the, in the financial markets. Well said. So let's go ahead and jump into another part here. I know we've talked about commodities might be a good place to go. Real estate might be a good place to go if you're someone who's really worried about inflation. But what else can investors do to sort of prepare for a period of, uh, let's say, above average inflation? Yeah. So again, like like I said before, I'm going to just keep coming back to this. We, we're going to stick with our strategy, and that's sticking to world-class high-growth businesses. And that's, for us, the most important way to deal with inflation. But also, we've played in the high-yield bond markets for a number of years and found a lot of opportunities for investors to not only gain income, but also price appreciation on bonds. But the problem is, over the last few years, you know, there's been all this fiscal, or I'm sorry, all this monetary stimulus, and the Fed has bought so many bonds, not just treasuries, but also getting into the corporate side of the bond market. And so what that means is high-yield bonds aren't as attractive as they used to be. The HYG, which is the high yield index, that's yielding less than 5% now. So what that tells us is risk reward is really not there for bond investors and kind of talking about, you know, the interest rate risk and inflation risk that also comes along with that. It's really not in the investor's favor in the bond market, which isn't to say there are opportunities and we are finding a few opportunities, but just a lot fewer than before. So what we've been recommending is looking toward bond-like equities. And what that means is companies that have large and predictable dividend yields. And so that might be your real estate investment trusts or business development corporations or limited partnerships kind of in the energy space. That's kind of where we've been looking to try to approximate that bond-like return in the face of kind of a 
unfavorable risk reward situation in the bond markets lately. Absolutely. I used to recommend having at least some money in bonds, but nowadays it's just if you're trying to go general and have maybe an ETF or a mutual fund to cover your bond holdings, I just think, and this is of my, I'm not a director of research, I'm not a licensed investment analyst, I'm not a licensed anything besides having a degree in finance, but in my opinion, I just don't think it's there, especially not the risk reward, especially with rates as low as they are. I mean, if you lock in 2 or 3% on a treasury bond, I mean, those yields aren't really going to go down. They're probably going to go up. And if those yields go up, if those treasury yields go to, let's say, 5%, and you're sitting there holding 3% bonds, you're going to take a major loss if you ever need to sell those bonds. And you're going to be yielding less than what everyone else is. So you kind of lose both ways. Yeah, it's exactly right. You lose on the income side, you lose on the price side. I think there's this kind of conventional wisdom that bonds are safe investments. And again, are you going to get paid back your $100 per bond for a treasury? Yes. But the question is, how much is that going to be worth in 30 years when you get paid back? And I think that's really the essence of inflation and how it impacts you know, stocks and bonds both. Yeah. And for those of you that may not have gotten that, if essentially, if you want to think of it like this, if a bond costs you $100, you're going to give the government $100, say it's a 3% yield, so you're going to get $3 per year in interest. Well, you're almost guaranteed to get that $100 back. But if the price of a Coke 30 years ago was 75 cents and the price of a Coke now is $1.50, you're definitely going to get your $100 back. But what you can purchase with that $100, you're going to lose so much in just your buying power that it's going to make the whole exercise not worth it. And that's sort of what he's talking about, about, yes, you are going to get your money back, but that money is not going to get you what it used to. Exactly. And I think, you know, kind of a more, it's a more real world example of, you know, we tried to define inflation earlier, but I think it really makes sense for investors to kind of take a step back and think, how does this work practically for me? When I make an investment, I get paid back. What is it really worth in real terms rather than nominal terms, right? Absolutely. And that's something a lot of people don't think about. A lot of people just think, oh, yeah, but as you said, bonds are safe. And typically, they'd be right. But this, I think a lot of people would agree that these are not typical times. No, and not only that, I mean, there's more than one type of risk, isn't there? You know, repayment risk is one type of risk, but you know, you have interest rate risk, you have reinvestment risk. And that's what we try to do for our clients is try to make them aware of kind of the different types of risk that are out there and then position them accordingly, not only to protect from those risks, but also take advantage of some of the dislocations and changes that we see uh, in financial markets. And sort of that's why we do what we do, trying to help clients build wealth by taking advantage of the financial markets. I completely agree. Now, let me go ahead and pivot something real quick. So we've talked about crypto, we've talked about gold, we've talked about growth stocks, and we've talked about bonds. For those of you that listened to that whole bond conversation that went over your head, I do have an episode where I talked about the four biggest risks of bonds, exactly how bonds work, how the value goes up. So if you were lost to that bond conversation, feel free to go back and listen to that episode and then come back here. But again, to continue with the pivot, which is you know taking about a minute and a half now. Something I want to ask you about specifically is what do you think as far as an inflation hedge about international stocks? Are y'all seeing that maybe the inflationary worries are unique to the U.S.? Or are you guys seeing that maybe this might be a worldwide thing? Or essentially, my question is, can international stocks provide a good hedge? I think they can. From our point of view, we do follow some international stocks, but they carry their own risks themselves. You know, especially in emerging markets, you have 
you know, political risk and other, you know, devaluation of currency and things along those lines. And so it'd be incorrect for me to say we never participate in international stocks, but I would say for the most part, we uh, keep our money on onshore here. And I hesitate to put a percentage on it, but it is significantly more U.S. than it is international. But I think it is an opportunity for folks to look internationally, but I'd also caution folks to understand that inflation here is probably going to uh, result in inflation in other countries too. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Will do. I'll definitely keep that in mind because that was more of a question for me. (laughs) You know, sometimes, you know, I have people on the podcast, you just got to ask specific questions because you know what? I have the opportunity. And who knows, there's probably someone in the audience who may have had that same question or didn't have that idea. So you know what? I just like asking these questions. Absolutely. (laughs) So now that we've talked about international funds, I want to go back to something we mentioned a little bit before, but I think maybe it should deserve its own little segment here. We talked about bond-like equities. Now, since we've spent a whole lot of time, I don't want to say trashing bonds, but let's say talking bad about bonds. Could you go a little bit more in depth on bond-like equities and why they might be a better solution than the bonds themselves? Yeah, sure. So I'll start by saying we've always followed bonds in the high yield space, especially because we like, first of all, you know, you can find high yield. So you can maybe make six, eight, 10, 12% of income per year just from the coupon. And then also the opportunity to buy bonds at a discount. So let's say you buy a bond at 75. And then you take that bond up to 100 back to par, you're able to make an extra 33% on top of the income. So that's how we look at bonds. And that's why we've always been interested in high yield bonds. Like we said before, the opportunities seem to be dwindling in that space. And so we don't see as many as we have before. And so we're looking for opportunities of companies that have a pretty high dividend that we think is replicable and predictable. And so We've been looking at real estate investment trust, REITs. We've been looking at business development companies, and we've been looking at these master limited partnerships that tend to exist in sort of the energy space and material space. And there's one particular one that I want to mention on the show here today, and that's called Blackstone Minerals, and that's ticker BSM. They have a pretty interesting business model. So having been in the high yield bond space for a long time, we've followed a lot of energy companies. And what really is the problem for energy companies and which makes them risky is that they're so capital intensive. And so they have to take on debt after debt in order to keep their business functioning and to be able to maintain levels of production. And so, you know, it's been spotty in the energy space and high yield. There have been some defaults. And what we like about Blackstone is they own mineral rights. They own the rights of oil and gas that hasn't been explored or produced yet they lease those rights to establish drilling operators. So there's virtually no capital expenditure involved. And this Blackstone spent less than $5 million in capital expenditure last year. Obviously, last year, 2020, was a horrible year for energy. Prices dropped precipitously, especially in the second quarter and the third quarter. And what really sticks out to us about Blackstone is they were able to pay back three quarters of their debt in 2020 despite that environment. And that was because they were able to generate uh, a fair bit of free cash flow and also sell some assets. So they have almost no debt now. And so it's a pretty de-risked situation. So 
what's amazing here is they pay a dividend of about 70 cents per year up from 60. They raise their dividend in a terrible year for oil. So that makes us feel more safe about the dividend. And the yield is almost seven and a half percent. So it's kind of like a bond-like income return on a stock, on an equity. And it also has kind of that same concept that we look for in bonds, which is price appreciation potential. So if oil market stabilizes over the next year, we think there's a possibility that not only can you continue getting that income, but also the stock could appreciate. So this kind of fits the way we look at bonds. You know, what we're getting from bonds usually or historically, we're getting the opportunity to have that in an equity. And again, that's ticker BSM, Blackstone Minerals. We see a really interesting opportunity to replicate a bond-like return from a stock. Definitely an interesting thing to think about. So essentially, a bond-like equity, it's an equity, it's a stock. You have ownership in the company, but it's relatively stable in that you know its stock price isn't going crazy up, down, left, right, sideways. Right. And it still has maybe not the highest yield, but definitely a high yield or even a medium yield, whatever yield you're looking for. And the company is considered safe to be paying that dividend while having the equity, while also not being affected by the risks that affect bonds as far as interest rates and inflation goes. Right. There is some interest rate risk and inflation risk with dividends, but that's offset by the fact that if you have inflation, oil business is going to do better. So with eyes wide open that there are inflation-related risks to a bond-like equity, in this particular case, we think those risks are offset by sort of how the business will perform in that same condition. Gotcha. It's definitely just another feather in your hat, another way to diversify, especially if you're trying to find something that's a little bit safer, a little bit more bond-like, but while also not throwing your money into bonds, if you agree with what you and I are saying, and that bonds probably aren't the best place to be right now. Yeah, that's right, Alex. You know, the reality is wealth management clients do need income-oriented investments. And rather than just sort of throwing our hands up and saying, okay, we don't see opportunity in the bond market, we want to take a little bit more of a proactive stance. And that's why we what we call the chosen list on, on left brain uh, investment research, which every month we give at least three stocks and three bonds that we like. And at the beginning of 2021, we changed the name of the chosen bond list to the chosen income security list, just to address the concept that we're talking about here. Understanding that wealth management clients are always going to need some source of income as they get older. So that's why we're trying to be more creative about replicating bond returns in a situation where we know that bond investment is becoming more and more risky given the macroeconomic environment. Well, it sounds good to me. Definitely sounds like you're taking a more proactive approach. Well, all righty, Brian. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about while we were here today? No, I think that just about covers it, Alex. Thanks. Yeah, I think we've covered. We definitely went a lot farther than I thought we were going to go, and I'm, I cannot tell you how happy I am with it. So I think with that, let's go ahead and just sort of move toward the conclusion of the show here. So, Brian, do you have anywhere that you'd like to share with my audience for where they could find out more about you and more about Left Brain? Sure. So you can find us on www.leftbrainir.com. And as I said earlier in the show, we're at an investment subscription service. And I wanted to offer a special offer to everyone who listens to this podcast. And that's 25% off any of our subscriptions using the code MAINST25. Then we put that in all caps. And even if you're not interested in the subscription service, there's plenty of educational content over there. And we also produce our own podcast called Left Brain Thinking. And you can get all of that on our website over there again, www.leftbrainir.com. 
All righty. And thank you for the discount code. That's that's going to be something I might have to check that out. And for those of you that are listening to this now, all of those links are going to be in the description below, including that very special discount code. So that's going to be in the description below, whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, whatever you're on, just scroll down. It's going to be there. Absolutely, Alex. And I just wanted to let your listeners know as well, we have a special April 8th Zoom event. It's called our Fortune Maker Series. We've done about half a dozen of these. This one's going to be called Wealth Builders. On the Zoom event, it's going to be April 8th, 5 Eastern, 4 Central. We're going to detail three stocks that we think can emerge from sort of a small cap or mid cap status and eventually become major players in their industries. And again, that's April 8th, free for subscribers. And it's actually $25 for non-subscribers. You can find us on Eventbrite just by searching Left Brain Investment Research. All right. And I'll go ahead and I'll find that and I'll have that one added in the description as well. Wonderful. All righty. So, Brian, is there any last minute words of wisdom or any sort of mic drop you'd like to leave us with before we get out of here? You know, Alex, it's been great being on the show. I just want to tell everyone again, we see a lot of opportunities in the markets. And of course, you can do well as an indexer. We think there's so much better you can do by selecting securities. And whether that's through your own research or working with a professional that does stock-specific research, we would encourage everyone out there to look into active investing and how it can help them achieve their goals and dreams. Well, all righty. Well said. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure you check out that discount code. Make sure you go see those free educational materials. I always love recommending free educational materials. Even if you think you have something solid already, it's always good to get another perspective on something. So while y'all are going and checking that out, I will see you guys next week.